morning to three people that responded. <laughs> um, thank you for giving me the opportunity to share with you again um, and be here. I, I do love coming back to Kalamunda and um, being part of the service here and part of the community. Um, so I want to, something God laid on my heart actually was last time I was here, um, which is a few, about a month ago now when um, I, I came and sat in the service and um, God actually, I felt like God had spoken to me and said, Gene, if you get asked to preach, um, this is what I want you to speak of, um, which is really nice because sometimes sometimes the night before you don't oh god what am i supposed to speak on uh, so it's nice to have the advance warning um, sometimes when um, god lays something on your heart and what i want to share with you this morning is something that i guess at some stage all of us um, in our different journeys as christians begin to ask the question as to what is god's will for me what is it that god wants me to do and it's a really interesting question and I look back on my life, I look back to when I was a, a young Christian and, and asked that question, you know, what God wanted me to do and I found it really, really hard to identify what God's will was for me. Um, and I probably grew up in an age where, you know, we were sort of taught God had this specific will for you and, and you need to find out what it is and I can remember just really praying and asking God to show me and it, sometimes it was like a blank wall and there were times where <coughs> excuse me, I thought I knew what God wanted me to do and yet um, what I thought he wanted me to do, sometimes I look back now and realise it's more what I wanted to do but I just put God's name to it. You know? It's like presenting a deed to him and getting him to sign it on the bottom um, that he agrees with the direction you're going in. Um, but I can also remember really wrestling with the whole thing and um, I'd gone to um, Bible college and yeah, I was really wrestling with what is it God wants me to do when I have finished here at the college? Where do I go? What do I do next? What do I know? It was really almost stressful. And I don't think God's will is, should be stressful uh, for us as to what God wants us to do. So I want to share with you some things that have happened for me during my life and um, tie them in with what I see God's will being. Because I think one of the things we have, one of the problems we have as Christians is... Um, I don't know, some of you who are older will remember there was a book that was written many years ago and I'm not going to tell you how long ago because that dates me um, but it was a long time ago, it was called They're a Weird Mob. Any of you remember it? Yeah, absolutely. And um, sometimes I think that actually should have been written about Christians. Um, yeah, they're a weird mob because some of the things we do, some of the things we think about, some of the things we get involved in, you go, oh my goodness, you know, what were they thinking? And um, we get these ideas in our minds of what a Christian should look like. I'm sure if I was to ask each one of you, what do you think a Christian should look like, you would have something in your mind as to what a Christian should look like, what a Christian should do. And in one sense, I want to say to some of you this morning, you may well have got it wrong as to what a Christian should look like. Um, I know growing up for me, growing up, <coughs> excuse me, um, growing up in um, a Christian family was actually quite difficult because my uh, folks were really, 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 really ultra-conservative. Um, and so it was really difficult. You know, there were standards set that I had to live up to uh, as a kid growing up. And 
sometimes you'd have to sort of find a way around those standards, you know, because the expectations I just couldn't meet. Um, and it made it really difficult because what happens is when those expectations happen, after a while, we sort of begin to think that's what God's like. And, you know, we begin to identify my father was really strict and, and, and over strict and over protective and there's a whole lot of things I wasn't allowed to do. I was never allowed growing up to go to any of my friends' place. Um, so I, I found that really hard because I didn't quite know how to make friendships because I wasn't allowed to have friends. I wasn't allowed to have friends back home and I wasn't allowed to go to their place because they probably weren't Christians in my father's eyes. So he had this thing. I, as I was growing up, I began to get a concept of that's what God's like. God must be like that. He's looking down to see um, when I do something wrong. you know. And um, I always remember reading um, Tony Campolo. I don't know if any of you have read some of his stuff. Brilliant guy. And... Um, you know, he's, he's got this uh, brilliant way of putting things very clear, very funny, and then sinks the knife home um, in the middle of what he's joking about. And he said when he was growing up, he had this concept as well. And he, he grew up and, you know, he believed as a Christian because that's what he was taught. Christians uh, didn't smoke, they didn't dance, they didn't go to the cinema. Um, and he said he found that hard. You know, and he and his, uh, uh, one of his close friends, they'd go to the cinema and, um, but they'd only go to the cinema when it was a raining or when it was cloudy, okay? Reason being is because um, one of the things that um, it says in the Bible is that when Christ comes, you know, um, everyone, he, he will come in the sky, like in the clear sky, and everyone will see him. So, so they only went to the cinema because they knew, well, God's not, Jesus is not coming back then, you know? We, we sort of get these concepts and we work our ways around them. We even have concepts of what Christians should look like. And many years back, uh, when I was only a kid, and probably about 13 or 14, I think, 15 maybe, and um, my parents had sponsored another family across from India and we'd got to know them quite well. And Faye and um, Frank know them quite well. Uh, um, Mr and Mrs Marrett, their names were. And we were at their place one day and their daughter, who we had sponsored across before the parents came, um, Dorothy, she bought this album. Again, sorry about the age difference here for some of you, but there was a singer uh, by the name of Cliff Richard and who'd come out as a Christian. So he was a Christian. He released this album called Good News. Right? And so Dorothy said, oh, I want to play this album. And so she put it on and um, much to her parents' disapproval and mine as well. I have to say, and there's, you know, they, they, Doris says, "Oh no, but he's a Christian." You know, and and I can still remember the discussion going, "No, no, he can't be a Christian." What What do you mean? Listen to the songs. Listen to the, you know, he's talking about good news. No, no, if he was a Christian, he would have come out of that pop culture. They had this defined idea of what a Christian should be and what a Christian should look like. Thank you. Um, and so um, I might cough during the message, so just excuse me if I do. I'm actually fine, but I had a cough and cold a few weeks back and they reckon that the cold and everything's gone, but the cough can last for five weeks. So if I do cough, please, I'm not going to faint or anything. Um, and again, so this whole idea of what a Christian should look like, and unfortunately that colours us as we grow up as to what a Christian should look like. And my parents were absolutely keen followers of a... An, an, sorry if this upsets some people, but an awful person 
um, in Ireland at the time by the name of Dr. Ian Paisley. He was absolutely anti any Catholic stuff. Um, and, but my parents thought he was absolutely fantastic. And when you listen to some of his sermons, which unfortunately I had to because my father used to listen to them, um, they, they were rants and anger and it, it was really quite horrific um, listening to it. So that's the kind of concept of being a Christian that I had in my mind as to what a Christian should look like, what God wanted us to be like. And it's really difficult because it meant... I can remember times when we would go to church and at that stage um, we were living out in the Como area and we'd go to the church there. And I could remember that you know, there'd be sometimes literally on the way to church my parents having an argument. You know, of course, I'd, I know this wouldn't happen for any of you. Um, having an argument, but when they got to church, we were smiling, you know, happy, fantastic great family, you know, love of God in our hearts, well, on our faces anyway, you know. And there's this sort of thing of, as Christians, we have to almost be perfect. Do you know what I mean? You know what I'm talking on that, you know. And I'm sure I'm not the only one who's sort of gone through that. Um, but probably some of you are sitting there just having had an argument with your partner um, and you're sitting there nudging the person going, see, you know. <laughs> I told you we shouldn't be like this. <laughs> um, so the reality for me was, is as I looked at my life and began to think, you know what, I don't think this is what a Christian is supposed to be. Maybe I need to find out what a Christian should be. And there was so much talk about what is God's will for your life and how do you find that out. And of course, one of the famous passages that was used and still is used is Romans 12. And Romans 12 um, verse 1 and verse 2 especially, don't be conformed to the world but be transformed by the renewing of the mind so you can prove what is the will of God. And that was a verse that I remember hearing many, many times and being preached on, um, but wrongly preached on because there's so much depth and sometimes we need to look, what, does the, what do these things really mean? What's the Bible say? Because otherwise, I think we get into a place where we see other people around us who are Christians and we evaluate ourselves against them. You know, you get someone who comes and maybe speaks. And, and I, one of the things I found really hard is that when I was doing a lot of speaking and especially at youth events and stuff like that, people tend to look up to you and you sort of say, no, 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 don't do that. Don't put me on a pedestal, please. That's not me. I'm not. And, and so then they put you on an even higher pedestal. Oh, he's so humble. No, no, I'm not really humble. Yeah, that's not really me. Wow, he is, you know. And you go, oh, come on, guys. So what should we be as a Christian? What is God's will for us? How do we find out what it is? Good news is, hopefully, I'm going to tell you what God's will is for every one of you in this church this morning. So that when you go this morning, you'll be able to say, I know what God's will is for me. One of the things that I do in the leadership training that I do, um, and I do it in, in various places, I was out at WA Police uh, last Thursday doing um, some sessions and work out there. Um, sometimes that can be scary um, because you feel like they're looking at you to see what you've done wrong. Uh, um, and um, the worst one I did was not so long ago with a group of um, psychologists, senior psychologists uh, at Sir Charles Gardner Hospital and sitting in the room and they were asking me questions and I'm theoretically teaching them and partway through I can remember thinking, I sort of almost went hot and cold thinking, oh my goodness, I'm in this room with all these psychologists, I wonder if they're evaluating me at this point. 
I wonder if they're going to let me go at the end of the session. Right? Uh, and you su we suddenly feel, oh my goodness, I don't, I don't live up to this standard. One of the things that we talk about on the programs that are run is what we call the imposter syndrome. And the imposter syndrome happens when you start comparing yourself with someone else. When you start looking at what someone else is doing and go, oh wow, gee, I'm not doing very much at all. You know, maybe I shouldn't be here. Maybe I'm not really supposed to be. And one of the things I like to do is probably play on that a bit with the programs. Um, I'm actually quite nasty. Um, you think I'm nice, but you know, in the programs I like to stir things and I like to stir people. So one of the things I do to get the point across about this imposter syndrome, I do it on the first day, and I've got these people for about 10 experience days. And on the first day, one of the things I say to people is this, and I do it very seriously. I say, okay, so let's just move on to the next part. What I want you to do today, I want you to think of a song that represents you. I want you to find that song. So you can have a search on your phone. You've got about 10 minutes to do this. I want you to find a song that you think represents you. Um, find it, find the words and everything. People are nodding. Yeah, okay, we can do that. And I say, great, because... Once you've done that, and I'm only going to give you all, we've only got about eight minutes now, um, I'm actually going to get you to stand up and sing <laughs> the song. And you watch people go pale. You know, watch people go pale. Um, and I, I'm not really going to get them to get up and sing, but they don't know that. All right. And so I let do, and I keep the pressure on. Okay, um, three minutes to go, folks. You know, you need to... And, uh, two minutes, folks, and I purposely shorten the time. Um, and then what I do is I look around and I choose someone appropriately um, and I think, okay, I can think I can get away with it. So I say, okay, um, so Jaden, uh, can you stand up? Can you come out the front, please, and sing your song? And, and you watch, you know, and the person comes out and you go, okay, so you got, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, I've got a song, yeah, okay, absolutely. You really want me to sing it? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you ready? And then I say, it's okay, I don't really want you to sing the song, Okay. But what I do then is say, how did you feel? What is it you felt as I was doing that? What was going on inside your mind and your heart? How were you feeling? Because outwardly, most of you are looking fairly calm, but inside, what was going on? And then I talk to them about the fact that this is what happens to us in life. We come across things that we're challenged with. We don't want to do it, but we feel, oh my goodness, I shouldn't be here. Maybe I'm an imposter. Maybe I... And we talk about that. And as Christians, we can feel like an imposter when we see other Christians. Or if we hear a Christian get up and give a testimony, we go, wow, you know, that's fantastic. I haven't had something like that happen in my life. And we compare ourselves. And one of the things I want to challenge you about this morning is don't compare yourself with other Christians. Because that's not what God has called us to do. What he has called us to do is something totally different. And when I look at Romans 12 and verse 2, um, don't be conformed to this world, one of the things we need to realise is what are the meanings of some of these words? What does, when they were written, they weren't written in English, so what's the real meaning of it? And in actual fact it says, don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. Now the word conformed is an outward thing, it's something that happens outwardly. Don't be conformed to this age. And the age that it's referring to means a period of time that's only going to be for a short while. Right. So it's saying, don't be conformed. Don't make yourself outwardly look like what's popular at the moment. 
Don't conform, don't make yourself outwardly look like, but be transformed. And I love that because the word transformed um, actually comes, the, the word is morph, okay? And it comes from um, being transformed or um, some of you, if you um, know anything about um, biology, metamorphosis. It's the stage where an insect, for example, creates that little pupae around itself and it's almost dormant for a period of time and then suddenly the pupae breaks open and the adult comes out and if you've seen it like, you know, a caterpillar become the pupae and then this absolutely beautiful butterfly comes out, all right? So it's really interesting because it's the word transformed you know, by the renewing of your mind, but be transformed. That is, be morphed, be metamorphized. Um, in other words, you are at a stage of growth. You are, and the term actually means to go from being a child to being an adult. All right? And I think God calls us not to live with a child's concept and belief of him. But we need to grow in who we are in Jesus. We need to grow. We need to become transformed. We need to break out of that pupae stage. Now, the first one is really interesting because, as I said, don't be conformed. That's an outward one. But the word transform is something that happens inwardly. So Paul, in his letter to the Romans, is saying, forget about what you look like on the outside and stop comparing yourself to other people. It's what happens on the inside. That's the key thing. What happens on the inside is going to make you who God wants you to be. You need to look inwardly. And then it says, by the renewing of the mind. And I love that because that word renewing says, what it actually means is to make an adjustment of your vision and how you think. To make an adjustment of your vision and how you think. In other words, what it's saying is, do you know what? When you are a Christian, you need to adjust your thinking. You need to think differently. You need to have a different vision to what you had before. All right? Now, what does all that mean? One of the things I realised partway through as I looked again at the meanings of the word when it says, so that you might know what God's will is, that word will actually is translated as desire. What is it God desires to be? What is that God? It's almost like wish list. What is God's wish list? Find out what God's wish list is and live by that. I always thought God's will was this hard and fast thing that you had to do and if you... When a God against God's will, will heaven help you? Do you know what I mean? That was my concept. That's not what it's talking about. What it is saying is, find out what it is that God desires. What's his desire? We, all of us, we have desires. We don't always get those desires fulfilled, but there are desires. And sometimes I will say to people, what is your wish list? If you could have, what would you? And that's almost what that verse is saying. Find out what God's wish list is. What is it he wants? Well, Jesus actually answered that question. A lawyer came to him one day and said, what is it that I need to do? How do I, how do I be the person I should be? And Jesus said, to, what's the greatest commandment? And then Jesus answers it and says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. And the second unto it is, love your neighbour as yourselves. And that's it. 
And Jesus also said he had come to do the will of his Father. Right. So in other words, Jesus is saying, do you know the key things you need to worry about? You want to know what the will of God is, the desire of God is? It's that you love him with all your heart and your soul and your mind and that you love your neighbour as yourself. They're the two things. If we feel that, you've done everything you need to do. When I was doing a bit of research on this, because I love to do research on stuff, and I looked at what does it mean you know, about loving God, and one one group actually had set out, so to love God with all your heart, here are the things you need to do. And they set out this prescription list of about 17 things you need to do to love God and to show you love God. In other words, they've made it a process. And I love the way that Paul in Galatians says to them, you foolish people, you became Christians because you believed in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. Now you're going back to trying and live the law? Were you saved by faith or by doing? And I think as Christians, we often fall into the fact of doing. We think that doing the right thing will make us acceptable in God's sight. We think that by doing the right things, we prove our Christianity. And yet that's not it. The fact is, God's calling us not to do, in that sense, but to be. And if we can be, doing comes out of that. Right? And that's the really hard thing. Again, in Corinthians what is the work of the Holy Spirit? The work of the Holy Spirit in you and me is to make us more like Jesus. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So if that's the work of the Holy Spirit, why is that you and I try to make us more like Jesus? Because if we do that, we're going back into the law. We're going back into process rather than being free in Jesus. What is the will of God for each one of us? The desire of God, the desire of God for each of us is to be who we are, not to be someone else. As soon as you start comparing yourself to someone else, another Christian, and it's nice to have Christian heroes to look up to, but when you start trying to be like them, you can't be because you're not them. You can't be like that person. Right? Um, I... In the past, I've done um, a fair bit of work with different groups. One of the groups that I did a whole lot of stuff with, West Coast Eagles. Um, and I can assure you, when I was standing next to Nick Natanui, <laughs> I did not compare myself to him. <laughs> <laughs> because there is no comparison. <laughs> All right? uh, he has got muscles in places I haven't even got places. <laughs> And I think, oh my goodness, so why would I compare myself against him? Because he's trained for whatever he's doing, you know. I've got no chance of ever being like a Nick Natanui, right? So, again, this is the problem. If we start comparing ourselves to other people, we will actually lose who we are. We will actually lose who we are. God calls you to be who you are, not to be someone else. He calls you to be true to yourself. In that way, you will be the person God wants you to be. 
trouble is for us Christians, again, we have this standard, we have something we think everyone has to live up to. One of the things I began to realise as I grew older in my life is that I have certain standards, but they're actually for me to live up to, not for someone else to live up to. So these days, I don't call for other people to live up to my standard, because that's my standard. You have standards that you may live up to, they're your standards. God calls you to be you. His will, his desire is for you to be you. His desire, his wish list is for you not to compare yourself to other people, to other Christians to, and say, whoa, I wish I was like so-and-so. I wish I was like that. You know? Wish I could get up and lead worship like Tim does or you know, things like that. But that's not who you are. Right? And the reality is, when we try and evaluate ourselves against other people, we are always going to fall short on that. Even if we try and evaluate ourselves against Jesus or against God, but the good news is this, the work of the Holy Spirit is to make you more like Jesus. For some of us, that's a lifetime of work, by the way. It's not going to happen overnight. And I remember thinking, I'm now a Christian. This is fantastic. I'm going to be perfect from now on. Wow, that was a big mistake. Yeah. And I found since then, guess what? I'm not, even now, I'm not perfect. Yeah, I know. It's a real disappointment. You know. <laughs> um, I'm just not, I'm not like Jesus, you know, but I know I'm becoming more like him because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And because it's the work of the Holy Spirit, it's not something I have to strain to do. Becoming more like Jesus is the work of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is in you. It's not something you have to force. It's something you have to allow to happen. You know? I don't know if you realise this, but some of you may have orange trees in your garden or backyard or something like that. And we had an orange tree and it used to look forward to the time when it would have oranges. And it was a natural process. You'd watch the orange tree, you'd watch the flowers and eventually they'd fall off and the you know, little things start, the, the fruit starts to come and stuff like that. It's a natural process. And it happens over a period of time. You don't see an orange tree standing there, you know, with a, it, it doesn't sit there and go, it's got its branch, and it goes, I've got to grow fruit. <laughs> Pop, and this fruit comes out. It doesn't do that, you know. It happens over a period of time, and it's the natural progression of an orange tree, right? The natural progression for you as a Christian and for me as a Christian is that we will begin displaying the fruit of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's in us. I don't have to strain at it. It's just a matter of allowing God to do it. That's what the Holy Spirit's in me for. To allow me and just simply, if I allow the Holy Spirit to do it, to move through me, I will naturally produce the fruit of the Spirit, not something I have to work on. That's God's will for you. That's God's desire that you be like Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will help you to do that, not something you have to force. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you know what? When I discovered that was the most freeing thing in my life, it really was. It freed me from trying to be like someone else. You know? Freed me from trying to live up to Frank's standard. You know? These days, I aim for a higher standard. <laughs> We've known each other for a long time. 
Yes, what I want to say to you this morning is this. Don't stress it. Relax and be who you are called to be, which is yourself. Do you know what? God made you unique. There's no one else in the world who has your fingerprints, for example. God's made you unique. And because he's made you unique, he's made you to be you, not to be someone else. So don't try and be like him. You know, don't try and be like that person that you admire. I can't be, and I certainly can't um, do the same things that Nick Natanui does. You know, talk about failure, that would be big. And yet that's what we do. So I want to encourage you this morning. What is God's will or desire for you? To relax, to allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in you, which is to produce his fruit naturally and in the right time and to make you more like Jesus. That is God's will or desire for you and for me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us this morning. Thank you that you have called us to freedom, free to be who we are, rather than trying to live up to other people's standards, trying to be what we can't be. Father, help us to see that being more like you is the natural work of the Holy Spirit. And it's going to be different in every person sitting around us this morning. Forgive us, Lord, if we fall into the trap of comparing ourselves to other people around us. And help us instead just to look to Jesus. Help us to just be able to relax and say, Lord, make me who you want me to be. And to know that I don't have to work on it because the Holy Spirit will. So this morning, I surrender myself back to you, Holy Spirit. And I take my hands off. And I allow you to just do what is natural to you, which is to produce fruit and to make me more like Jesus. That is God's will, which is acceptable. Amen. So thank you, Lord, for your love that is so great for us. It allows us to be whoever we are. We ask your blessing on us this morning in your strength to be able to let go and just let you. In your name we pray. Amen.